It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. Uh, this is a chance to bring together the award-winning journalists on the East End and to talk about what's going on in the news this week in a little more depth. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the website's 27east.com and sagharborexpress.com. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. And our panelists today are Joe Markmeister, who is editor at the Times Review Media Group. Hey, Joe. Hey, good to be back. Uh, Denise Civiletti, who is editor at Riverhead Local. Good morning, as always, Denise. Good morning. And we have a new panelist this week. That's Oliver Peterson, who is the managing editor at dancepapers.com. Good morning, Oliver. Hello. So we're going to, I think probably the, the topic of the day is mask wearing. On Thursday, Governor Kathy Hochul's executive order was lifted as far as mask mandates for businesses in New York State. And uh, it's it's. You know, the governor said this is really starting a new era in the pandemic. And uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the medical expert at the federal level, has been saying that there's some reasons for optimism. But I thought it was interesting on Friday. uh, Actually, it was later on Thursday. uh, President Biden said uh, that the states that are moving to lift the mask mandates uh, right now might be moving a little too quickly, that it might be premature. Um, Denise, um, the numbers are getting better, right? Statewide, regionally, uh, locally, I think we're, we're getting below 4% uh, as far as positivity rates, which 5% is the cutoff for high transmission areas, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, our vaccination rates are pretty good, and our hospitalization rates are staying uh, within uh, bounds, we can, we can, you know, we can handle the, the load. Is it time to start taking masks off, do you think? Um, I mean, uh, speaking personally, I, by, by all means, like I, all the numbers are in the right direction. We're down to where we were like around Thanksgiving before the winter surge started, you know, so, um, you know, that peak going up and down and, um, you know, everything is good. Personally, I I think if I'm in a, a crowded place with not with poor ventilation, I'm probably still going to wear a mask. I wish other people would too, but I know that people you know are are not happy about about doing that. But uh, you know, so it's mask optional. Interestingly, I was looking at our our uh, vaccination numbers and like you know Suffolk County, the total population that's been vaccinated has not really gone up all that much through this last you know wave. I mean, there was some, there was a bump, I mean, but it was like one percentage point. Um, Is that, that in our favor, though, maybe? That might that might work to our advantage, right? Because people have been vaccinated longer. I don't know. You know, I mean, apparently with Omicron, you needed to get that booster in order to be yeah. like, better protected. Um, but I don't know. I kind of feel like it's also a function of the people who are going to get vaccinated have gotten vaccinated and the people who are not just aren't going to. And um I don't know, you know, and that total population number, of course, includes children. And, you know, as we know, there has not exactly been a rush to have uh, kids vaccinated by parents. So um, so I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, look, it seems like we're safely past Omicron and, you know, we could have another, you know, good summer. And hopefully there won't be some other variant that comes and bites us in the 
Oh, I can't say that word. Um, but <laughs> that that gets a fight us in the backside. Backside. Uh, you know, there you next, go. next. And, fall. We uh, and we should rush to clarify that there's been no change at the state level in the policy as far as schools go. Uh, the governor's going to wait uh, to make a ruling on that later on. Joe, uh, we had an express sessions event yesterday, a virtual event where we brought some of the business community together and talked about the mask mandate and how it's affected them and how the lifting of it might change. I thought it was interesting. One of the issues now is uh, some of the business owners mentioned that it's going to be up to them now to decide whether or not they're going to require masks and to enforce that. And I feel like that's going to cause a lot more friction uh, at the local level, when you have people who now are not mandated, that sign out in front of Starbucks that says uh, you have to wear a mask because that's the that's the policy of the state is gone. So it's now Starbucks employees that are deciding whether or not they're going to let you wear, you know, for, make you wear a mask or not. I just see lots of uh, conflict coming with that. Yeah, as you said, you know, the the governor left it open where, you know, counties themselves or other you know levels of government could could impose their own um mandates at, at a lower level um i don't think we've seen anything yet um from, you know from any counties that would do that and also for businesses that they could you know still require mess and um yeah it's tricky i mean i you know honestly i really don't see many businesses kind of really putting in the effort to try to enforce it just because no it's hard. I don't know how you do it. I mean, I think, as you said, the best you can do, maybe put a sign out front and say, you know, please wear a mask if you come in. But, you know, aside from that, I mean, I think, you know, and it's going to be hard, kind of hard too for people when you go out and, you know, you kind of have to, every time you go in a store, you have to kind of look like, oh, wait, is this mess or no mess? Or, you know, I think everyone's on this mentality now. I don't need a mask anymore. And, and that's kind of how everyone's going to approach going out. So, um, yeah, I don't know if we'll see some businesses that are, you know, more stringent about it. And, um, you know, it's definitely going to be going to be tricky for them to to have to enforce that. And and, you know, what you don't you don't want your, um, you know, your fifteen dollar an hour employee who's, you know, 19 years old having to get in confrontations with, uh, you know, you know, crazy people because they're not wearing a mask every day. And, and you know, that's that's not good. So, um, you, you know, I, I think definitely some businesses would require or, or strongly encourage their employees to wear masks and when you know we have employees together um you know in small spaces uh, for a number of hours in a day i think that's probably still smart to you know wear a mask and um you know it depends on you know where you are you know my wife works at a restaurant and she's out in front and people are coming in and out um and you know when her first day uh well, when she was at work Wednesday, when the when this was announced, you know, she, she had a mask on and people are coming up and saying to her, yeah, you don't need the mask anymore. And she's like, well, you know, I'm, yeah, I guess that's that technically, like, well, technically it's tomorrow, first of all, but, um, you know, I, I'm just choosing to wear it. I want to, you know, so. I, I think mask optional is going to be the, the, the catchphrase, you know, from this point forward. And um, I, I think Joe's right. I mean, these business owners, they're they're not going to be, want to be the mask cops. We've all seen the the YouTube videos of, of people charging into stores and businesses and and taping it and making a big display about, you know, personal freedom and, you know, and, and all that stuff. And you're just going to get you're going to get a lot of that. But I, I think, you know, Joe, Joe's right, too, that, you know, if if employees want to choose to wear a mask. And I think one of the panelists said that yesterday too, Joe, in the 
in the sessions event is is they're just going to leave it up to to the individual employees if they want to wear masks if they feel more comfortable doing that they will um and and i think the public too i you know, my, I think every time we talk about this, I talk about my trips to to Stop and Shop, and I went to Stop and Shop uh, yesterday, and and I'll tell you, ninety five percent of people were were still wearing masks. Maybe the word hadn't gotten out yet, um, but I think in a, in a big place like you know, like a grocery store where you've got a lot of people in and out, I'm going to continue to wear my mask for a while. But if I'm going into a small little shop or you know, grab a cup of coffee or whatever, I may or may not. I don't know. Um, so it's optional. I, I think it's going to be optional for for the public and optional for these business owners. I can't see them trying to enforce that stuff. Honestly, even when the mandate was in place, or uh, they could, they weren't able to enforce it. I mean, I would go to Target or wherever, and there'd be maybe a third of the people without masks, and nobody's stopping them or saying anything. So right. you know, nobody want. I mean, and like you said, who wants to? You know, you're not going to uh, make your employees uh, have to like fight people about their masks, you know? Yeah. You know, Oliver, the thing that bugs me is I'm going to continue to wear a mask when I go to places like the supermarket or Costco or places like that, where I, you know, there's a lot of people and, and you're, you're sort of forced to be inside. I'm choosing to do that because of my own health and I, and I want to wear it, but I know it's going to be seen as a political statement. And, and you just know that there's going to be confrontations with people where I, you know, and, and I guess it works both ways. There's also going to be people who are saying you should be wearing a mask, even though you don't have to, I, I just feel, I, I, I think we could debate the, the mask mandate at the state level, which I think is a whole separate debate, but I think throwing this open to sort of the public raises a whole new set of concerns. And I feel like it's going to cause a lot more stress out in the community. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, it is, everything is so disgustingly politicized that it's, you know, because right, you should have the freedom to wear your mask as well. If you want to talk about personal freedom. So, you know, it's not hurt. Is it, you know, I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. It's the thing. Denise, I, I read something in the, the Washington post. Uh, one of the writers there um, used a Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, quote, she was actually talking about voting rights uh, when she used the quote, but he used it for lifting mask mandates at this point. He said, it's like throwing out your umbrella in a rainstorm because you're not getting wet. Th- the concern yeah. is that, that now that now that we stop wearing masks again, are we going to see it? Are we going to see a flare up again? Or is this is this potentially the exit strategy now barring any new variant? I think the potential for a flare up is going to depend on how much the virus is circulating in the community. You know, if, if it's not if we're not over that threshold where, you know, one person that's infected infects more than one other person, um, you know, it, it could remain stable. It should remain stable, especially as, you know, weather gets warmer and people are outdoors more, I think. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't think that I mean, that was the whole point of of having the mandate and, and, you know, telling people they have to wear masks and then lifting the mandate when the numbers got to a certain point. I mean, the thing that bothers me about how Hochul has handled this is I wish, you know, she talks about the data and like, see what the numbers are and we're being following the science, et cetera, but she's never, um, you know, actually come out and said, well, when we reach this level, that's when, you know, and I feel like if there were more, clarity and transparency from officials on things like that. I think that, you know, and less 
kind of people are perceiving like changes by CDC about what they've been saying over time um, for various reasons. But, you know, I think I think people would be more accepting and understanding. I mean, I'm still optimistic enough to think that people are not just going to be perpetually angry about absolutely everything. But I wonder. Um, um, but like, you know, it's just I, I feel like that would go a long way. Like, I, you know, we, when she was at um, BNL, Alec actually our reporter, Alec Lewis, actually asked that question. Well, you know, are you like, what's the metric? And she just danced around it and didn't, you know, didn't answer the question as as so many politicians are so good at doing. But, you know, I feel like that would really help if, if they would just come out with, you know, those kinds of statements and guidelines. Right. And that's the question hanging over the schools, too. Right. I mean, right. that's yeah. what everyone at the schools are wondering, you know, what what can we look forward to that we know once we get to, right. you know, X, Y, Z point, we know that, OK, now it's going to be OK. And, and right, right now, it doesn't sound like the schools really have any clarity on when, you know, and we had this March date looming now. And, you know, I think somebody even asked at the last press conference, you know, if things are basically essentially the same as they are, um, you know, now on yeah. this March date, would that be good enough? And she sort of, I think, said, you know, possibly, yeah. So you know, that also is, well, if it's I, March, I, so, if it's as good as it is now, then why wouldn't you just do it now? You know, it, it is confusing. So, so is the is the variable the vaccinations? Because it seems to be that that's what they they keep throwing up lately. That look early on pre pre vaccinations, um, it was all about the you know the positivity rate, and and that was the metric that that they used and we used for every decision. If it's below this number, if it's above this number, um, but but stuff that I'm reading now is is you know, that, that a lot of it has to do with the vaccination rates. And, and I think that as far as the schools go, I, I think people are un, unhappy with some lower vaccination rates of, of the kids, of the younger kids, um, especially. And, and I think, you know, waiting to see if that vaccination rate goes up to make a determination. And how do you, you know, do, do, so so is the metric, the vaccination rate plus the positivity rate plus plus Z plus, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, how do you come up with, with that metric? And and I don't know what what the answer to that is. I, I think probably they, they're trying to encourage more kids to get vaccinated, but is that fair to the kids? I, I mean, I don't I mean, know. I you know, they're not saying how they come up with the metric. That's the thing. So it, well, exactly. it, it, it leaves them open to, you know, people's complaint that it's it's on a whim. And um, I think, you know, we've seen some of that whim in the past, like with those, you know, orange and yellow zones that uh, Cuomo rolled out that then really didn't mean anything. And they just sort of faded into oblivion. So people have a lot of reason to be skeptical about all this stuff, for sure. Right. I think that I got to believe, too, that teachers play a role in this decision about the schools because, you know, most of the kids are not vaccinated. So, you know, are they being exposed in the classroom right. if kids are, you know, more likely to be carriers of this, for lack of a better word? And I think but, that's a real concern. I mean, I've heard that concern from teachers. Sure. I, I think that's the unsung uh, part of this. It's not just about the kids. And, and look, I understand parents are concerned about their kids and if their kids are having issues wearing masks, but but it's about the community. It's about spreading into the community. If these kids, these kids probably aren't going to get really sick, even if they're not vaccinated, um, you know, but but they're spreading it, spreading it through teachers and, and staff and administrators and all that that then goes out in the other community. Or if a kid picks it up at school, um, you know, and goes and visits their grandparents, then, you know, then, then that's an issue. So. 
Yeah, and I think the school decision, we we saw it flare up, Bill, this week uh, at Sag Harbor. Uh, there was a, a lengthy virtual meeting talking about the school district's policy and when it might change, and a lot of parents speaking out pretty vehemently against the mask policy. But, you know, I, I think that the masking in schools is so much more complicated for so many reasons. I, I, I do think there are some uh, legitimate conversations to have about about what happens. And I, f- I feel like so many of the school districts are taking the let's be extra cautious um, position that, that, you know, they're they're having kids wear the masks in schools out of out of an extreme amount of caution. We need to figure this all out for the next pandemic, though. Right. I, I mean, this is not going to be the oh, last well, the, time the, the, the next pandemic or the current pandemic. And, I, you know, one thing I was reading that was saying that once you take the masks off, it's pretty hard to get people to put them back on. And we saw that, um, you know, earlier, earlier yeah, la, la, last year when, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it was, it was Cuomo at the time, take your masks off, we're, we're done, we're, you know, everything's good. And then all of a sudden the numbers started to shoot back up and, and trying to get people to put those masks back on was, was, was pretty difficult. And I think eventually we did, but it was, but you, you just, you just feed that contentiousness that, that we saw at the, at the school board meeting the other night where, where people were, you know, really emotional, crying and sobbing in the audience. Um, because they don't want their kids wearing masks. So so I, I think some of that caution is is that if we if we relax the mandate and then people go on February break and they go to Disney and they go here and they go there and and they're traveling, you know, and seeing, you know, seeing family and they come back in, infected, um, you know, then what do you do? So I, I think maybe, you know, after the February break, then then maybe some, you know, I, I think that's what we're waiting for in, in reality. You know, Oliver, I, you know, none of us are epidemiologists. Actually, I should turn that around. We're all sort of amateur epidemiologists at this point. I think every one of us is sort of looking at this and trying to figure it out. My big question now, which I, I, I don't really get a good answer, and I don't know that there is a good answer for, is whether the long-term goal now is to eradicate this or is it just to bring it to a level where it's manageable and it doesn't overwhelm our, our hospitals and, and hope that we can sort of manage it with, with annual boosters of some kind. I, I'm not sure what the end game is going to look like here. I, I agree with you. That's, <laughs> that is a good question. It seems now suddenly you're starting to hear on the national level that it's more, they're starting to sort of say, eh, well, you know, maybe, maybe we're just going to have to deal with this a little bit, but uh, you know, it's like you were saying with the rainstorm thing though, I, you know, about the umbrella and the rainstorm, I, it still sort of boggles my mind why we don't, you know, it's like every time it gets better. Yeah. Let's just do another two weeks, you know, just do the right thing for two more weeks. And, you know, even if you don't believe in it or whatever, you know, just do it and, and, you know, be a grown up about it. And, uh, you know, I don't know, but I guess it's very upsetting to a lot of people. So it's hard. Um, but I just, I just feel like maybe if, you know, everybody oh. could do it for two weeks, you know, maybe beyond we'd be, you know, I don't know. Devil's advocate two weeks turned into two years. I mean, it was two weeks to flatten the curve yeah. and now it's two years later. And, you know, and it's not, I don't believe that, but, you know, I think that's kind of some of the refrain. And I think about that, Joey, I think about the umbrella thing and to Oliver's point is that I'm you know, taking the umbrella off because I'm not getting wet or I'm taking the 
umbrella down because I heard it's going to stop raining and, you know, in an hour. I mean, I think it's more more of that than, you know, more of the latter than, than the former. But it's still raining. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> your point about I think, too, just, you know, with, 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 with how big that last wave was, so many people did get it that, um, you know, so many people who did get COVID and were able to recover now are just like, OK, I had it. What? No big deal. Yeah. You know, exactly. And so you have a lot of people like that who, who, who you know, did, who did get COVID, you know, obviously didn't may not have died and you know may not have had severe symptoms and now you know are just reinforcing those beliefs that like this is no big deal like why are we paying attention to this at all just a flu and, and i think the big scary thing lurking out there is the possibility of another variant which really would set everything back again and and i think you know at least has the potential to do that so we have to keep an eye out for that but i do, you know i feel like you're absolutely right we we've, we've been sort of rushing to normalcy. We, I mean, I, I think it's completely understandable. We all want to get back to normal life. Um, it's been two years. It's, it's really, if you had gone back to 19, uh, I'm sorry, to, to 2019 and looked forward and said for two years, we're going to be, we're going to be looking at a completely different life than, than we have right now. Uh, it's pretty remarkable what we've been through for two years. I think we're all eager to get out of this. Uh, there's at least some optimism now. And I think probably that's uh, something that we haven't had for a while. So fingers crossed as we take masks off now and then I'm going to still wear mine most of the time, but I'm not going to lie to you. I will take my mask off now and then uh, when I'm running into Starbucks in the morning, I'm probably not going to be wearing a mask anymore. I'm not in there long enough. So this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw from the Express News Group. I'm your co-host along with Bill Sutton, uh, also of the Express News Group. Our panelists today, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister of the Times Review Media Group, and Oliver Peterson of DansPapers.com. Um, so let's talk about EPCAL. Uh, Denise, I guess you can start us off. There's been some new developments on that project up your way. Uh, that piece of property is a very uh, important one. What, what's, what's the news there? Well, it was actually kind of interesting, I thought. Um, the, so the town's you know, been mired in this uh, bad place where the, the whole thing is stalled because they need to subdivide the property in order to sell it to the purchaser an affiliate of Triple Five Group. And, um, you know, they can't get the subdivision done because of some regulatory issues concerning water supply, public water supply with the DEC. That's a long story. I won't get into it, but it's been uh, stalled. The town sued the DEC over this and the court told them, go away. This isn't ripe for a lawsuit. They, you don't have a final determination yet. So that that was that. Uh, while this is all going on, which has now been for a few years already, and the latest EPCAL uh, drama, but um, the, the purchasers, um, the, the parent company, this Triple Five Group, has um, had a lot of bad financial news. Um, one of their other wholly owned uh, subsidiaries uh, is developing the American Dream Mall in uh, New Jersey over the Meadowlands. And um, they have uh, been battered about and lost a lot of money. Uh, it's been over, you know, over budget, over over the, the time period that they would have expected to get it finished and opened. And as they were kind of emerging from that, COVID hit, they got shut down, and that made things worse. Um, they ended up uh, essentially forfeiting a 49% stake in each of their two biggest assets, which are 
like the two largest malls in North America, the Mall of America in Minnesota and the West Edmonton Mall in Alberta, Canada. And um, they, you know, so they're in some some financial stuff there. And, um, you know, can the town get them to prove their financial worthiness again or anything? Did they prove it to begin with? I would argue that they didn't, but uh, they don't want to show uh, any of their financial records and stuff. Uh, so there's that undercurrent to all of this. But yesterday, uh, they rolled out this uh, kind of like nifty uh, kind of, I would call it sort of legal gymnastics uh, for how to close this deal with triple five and or force the purchaser's hand to prove that they've got what it takes to not only buy the property for $40 million, but um, develop it. And the legal gymnastics are they're essentially the three the, the buyer and the seller are going to enter into a lease and project agreement with the Riverhead Industrial Development Agency. The town's going to transfer the whole 2,100 acres that they still own there to the IDA. The IDA is going to then enter into a lease agreement with um, and and with the purchaser. The purchaser is going to then take responsibility for subdividing the property. And so that the, the town can, so that the IDA can then transfer the 1600 acres that the town was supposed to transfer to the uh, purchaser to begin with. And so they'll be responsible for the subdivision. They'll pay the cost of the subdivision and the IDA will do the investigation into their current financial status because they are, go they are going to be, or we're going to be anyway, applying for IDA benefits like tax breaks and things like that in connection with this project. So the IDA would kind of be doing that anyway. And once the subdivision's done and, you know, they'll, the, the, the IDA will transfer the property, the remaining property to the town. But the good part about this from the town's point of view is that once this lease agreement is entered into between the purchaser and the IDA, the purchaser is going to basically it's not going to be a closing because the title's not going to transfer, but they're going to pay the town the $40 million. Mm -hmm. So the town gets its money. The IDA does the investigation. The purchaser does a subdivision. If the purchaser doesn't pass muster as far as the financial investigation goes, the deal's off. Um, so, Joe you, Joe, you guys at the Times Review have been watching this project too. Is, is this a significant step forward? Uh, it's been a long time. This project's been been uh, working its way through, right? Remind us exactly what what are they what are they going to do up there? What, what's the plan? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been. I mean, I mean, this uh, first with uh, Calverton Aviation and Technology dates back to about, about twenty eighteen. Uh, so it's been been uh, quite a few years already now uh, that this is. Uh, been up there. I mean, this kind of dates back to this company, Illuminati, uh, had these kind of grand visions for this, uh, you know, aerospace kind of uh, project that they wanted to do. And, um, you know, that company uh, and its owner, you know, was a lot of questions there and it seemed to kind of fall apart. And essentially they got back in with this larger triple five company um, and then created this Calverton Aviation and Technology. So the, the Illuminati that was kind of started this is now just like a small minority. And you have the, you know, the triple five uh, group is the, the majority owner in this uh, Calverton Aviation and Technology. So, you know, they're 
saying they're going to recruit all these different, um, you know, kind of big uh, tech aviation type companies um, to this area and, and seemingly create this, um, you know, uh, you know, complex of, uh, um, uh, of different, uh, you know, companies that are going to come together. Um, kind, you know, kind, of like the, years. Kind, of, kind of like the tech triangle in, in Carolinas where you just have all these big tech companies in, in one location. Right. And, and, you know, over recent years, they've kind of said, oh, well, let's, you know, they've given us some examples of a few different, uh, you know, companies that they think are, are coming. And, you know, there's still a, a lot of question marks, whether it will come together or not. And, um, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, we were looking in, in in recent weeks trying to figure out, you know, what's coming next. And, you know, the town was kind of saying, well, we're going to have something soon. And and apparently this is uh, what they had, you know, worked up. And uh, I, I, I certainly didn't see this kind of uh, development coming with uh, how they are planning to bring in the IDA. Um, I really what, what, couldn't say whether I think it'll work or not. Um, it's maybe a little beyond my uh, expertise, uh, but um, it's definitely... So, so what exactly is the is is the IDA? This is this is something that that provides tax breaks to to businesses for developments that type of thing. There was what was the state term for it? It used to be I forget what what that was. Where where it's just you're just allowing tax breaks so businesses will come in and provide jobs and that type of thing, right? Yeah, I guess the idea is to lure in businesses and then through different uh, tax incentives and breaks, um, you know, you're encouraging more. Uh, business activity in the area and and you know they have i guess their process that they go through to you know um you know uh vet out and you know as it turns out they seemingly pretty much grant you know the uh incentives to anyone that comes before them you know it's i think denise you would probably know more too about how they <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they really turn anyone down uh was is that kind of accurate <laughs> It see you know like it kind of seems that way, Joe. Uh, certainly, that's been the criticism of that agency uh, since its inception, pretty much. Um, but I mean, it's a state authority, and there are standards. They're supposed to provide assistance to businesses who wouldn't be able to do the development that they want to do right. without that assistance, and um, they're supposed to provide assistance to businesses who are going to develop in either blighted areas or who are going to develop an industry or a commercial thing that's going to um, provide jobs in the community. So it's like jobs and economic development, cleaning up blight, et cetera. And, you know, there like, are a like, lot of people like, who feel that they've abused that. It's it's like enterprise zone stuff, right? I mean, yeah, right? kind of. I mean, yeah. it kind of is. And they can do, but like, you know, they can grant property tax exemptions um, for, on new construction. They can uh, grant mortgage ta recording tax exemptions sales tax exemption. So it's kind of like a very valuable thing. They also have the ability to actually facilitate uh, lending to um, a, a developer and make get loans for them and make loans to them. They haven't really been doing too much of that. It's basically been, you know, but we've seen things like, you know, the idea people after they get all of their, they go through the whole process and get all their approvals and, and then they go to the IDA to seek benefits. Hmm. Which is kind of like, well, if you needed this to begin with, what are you doing here at the end of your process? So I don't know. I mean, everybody knew, kind of knew that Triple Five was going to be seeking IDA benefits anyway. Um, but, you know, here we if are. You take a, if you take a step back, Denise, what's the conflict here? What I mean, it seems like developing that property is something the town would be in favor of and 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 would be a good thing for 
the tax base and for the community in general, if it creates jobs. What's the conflict here? What 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 are what are the the concerns that that the town has to watch out for? Well, I mean, there have been a lot of people have uh, believed very wholeheartedly that triple five is a lot of smoke and mirrors mm. because, as Joe alluded to before, the the guy who brought triple five into this deal uh, was kind of exactly that, you know, um, he had, he talked a good game and he, he had grandiose visions and he kind of uh, sort of imploded basically um, and left town. He's now a minority shareholder in this uh, limited liability company with triple five, but he's not involved in it. Um, triple five as a privately held company has refused to make any kind of meaningful financial disclosure to the town of Riverhead throughout, going back to, you know, the 2018 public hearings. Um, the town board, uh, like, approved this letter of intent with Luminati that dragged on for a year, like 10 months past how long it was supposed to be effective. And then in December of 2017, after the current, the then supervisor lost his reelection bid. And when another member of the board was term limited out, the last meeting of that year, that town board in 2017 approved a contract to sell to CAT, Calvert Aviation and Technology, for $40 million, 1,644 acres of industrially zoned land there, which comes out to like $25,000 an acre, under $25,000 an acre for industrially zoned land that's going to have access to sewage treatment and public water. Needless to say, a lot of people got upset about that because the price of that was kind of ridiculous. I mean, you know, look at sales of industrially zoned land in the Calverton area more recently, and you see that they pay like, you know, 10 times that for, you know, property that doesn't even have public water access. So there's, there's that. And then there's just this kind of like this secretive, you know, aura around these folks who won't disclose their finances, who have all these, I mean, they literally at one day sat and researched, they have like hundreds of LLCs and, you know, they have LLCs that are partners in other LLCs that are partners in other LLCs that, you know, are mezzanine lenders, <laughs> borrowers. It's like a crazy, it's, it's like hard to unravel what exactly, how they do their business. And it, they kind of like it that way, it seems. So there's all of that, you know. I mean, people it don't sounds, really believe that they like, are going to do it. Yeah, and it, it sounds like if there was as much demand uh, for a project like this, um, that that you would think that there would be bigger names involved in in you know in a project like this. Because I think back to build the industrial park. Uh, that Southampton Town created near Kabreski. And I think yeah. originally, originally was, the idea there was that it was supposed to be high tech as well. And it just didn't didn't come to pass. There wasn't enough demand for for that kind of thing. And I, I think the idea and, that, and, and they offered a lot of those tax break, tax breaks to the developer as well. Um, and, and exactly it was supposed to be just that it was supposed to be high tech stuff. It was close to the airport. It was close to the railroad. It was close to to um, to, to the highway there. Um, and, and look, they've done a good job filling up that, that development, that site, but it's, it's stuff like Tate's cookies and, um, uh, you know, other retail uses and, and now Amazon, which, which mm-hmm. certainly is, is a, is a big, uh, is a big name, but not high tech stuff. 
So, so I, I wonder, I wonder in, in Calverton if it's, you know, yeah, we're going to bring in all these high tech companies and we've got a runway and all that and we're near the LIE. But but are there companies that want to come out to Eastern Long Island? Um, I mean, I, I would say a couple of things to that. I You know, like this. First of all, this has been going on for a generation now, like it's 1998 that the town got that property basically from uh, the, the federal government. But like, you know, the. As far as industrial development and interest in industrial land, the town still has, for reasons that a lot of us can't quite understand, a lot of industrially zoned land around what used to be the Grumman facility. They never like changed that zoning. So now Joe will tell you we we we're seeing you know proposals for uh, you know millions of square feet basically of um, industrial development. Maybe that's a that's kind of an exaggeration, but. You know, I mean, there's this 131 acre industrial subdivision right next to Splish Splash that's now under review. It's going to be like, uh, I think, 38 or something like that industrial lots. Um, there's a, a 400,000 square foot industrial building proposed for another parcel on Middle Country Road in Calverton. And so, you know, you're saying that they couldn't get, you know, like Gabreski didn't pan out to be what. Well, now we're developing all this industry all around Calverton. What are they going to do inside Calverton? I mean, they've, in their contract, they commit to develop a million square feet of industrially of industrial use within um, a couple of years of getting or starting within a couple of years of getting their approvals. So, you know, who are they going to bring? I don't know. I mean, I. I People are, I think, justifiably skeptical about the, about this. And um, if there's a way that they can, you know, get somebody to get their funding together to buy the property and flip it to somebody at a great profit, they certainly have every incentive to do that. And the price that they're getting is low enough. And I think the devil is in the details, as they say. And I'm very, very anxious to see what this uh, lease project agreement is going to look like and whether they'll have the ability to, to flip the land that way. In, in, read, in reading both of your stories, and I'm certainly not not as well versed in, in, in this stuff, but it, it looks like this is a move being promoted by the town as this is is going to be Fisher cut bait. It, it, it's like, OK, so the town has been been tied up by this DEC lawsuit. Um, or, or the, the problems with, with the DEC, but can't walk away from the developer because they're in contract with the developer and doesn't want to get sued. So it just sits there, sits there and sits there. And this is a way to kind of push it forward and to see whether this is going to be a legitimate development or not, or what's going to go on. Is that, is that I mean, bottom line, is that how I'm reading this? I think that's completely accurate. Okay. Fisher cup bait. I think somebody even might have, might have used that uh, phrase yesterday. Yeah, it was me so, just now. <laughs> no, I mean, one of the town board members, I think, actually said it that way. I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. So let's see. I mean, it's certainly very creative. It's a very creative yeah. way to go about this. So I'll give them credit for that. And let's see what happens. I don't, I don't know. I um, thought it was kind of interesting, too. You know, we're going back to before the election when, you know, we were talking to, you know, the town board candidates and supervisor candidates and obviously you know this is a topic about fcal and everyone sort of seemed to be in agreement that the deal wasn't really good and you know they would rather not be in the deal if they could and um but you know now here we are where they're just seemingly you know trying to figure out a way to you know possibly make it work so you know they 
sort of said that they didn't really like it, but no one's really willing to go out there and just say, all right, we're, we're just going to be done and we're going to risk, you know, any potential litigation that may come of it. And I mean, who even knows if triple five would even bother with the litigation and everything, um, you know, if that was the case, I mean, certainly they may would, I I don't know, but, um, you know, but it is interesting that they are just kind of like, all right, let's try to, let's try to make this work when, you know, it seemed like maybe nobody was too excited about the deal. And as Denise was saying, oh. I mean, the $40 million, when you look at it now and it's like, wait, how much could they really get for that property? And uh, you would assume it would be a lot more. Oliver, you were trying to jump in. Did you have a point? Uh, just, do we know exactly what they will like? I know they said it does industrial and aviation technologies, but do they, do we know exactly what they're actually talking about building or doing like, like in terms of the, what they're going to create there? I mean, as Joe mentioned, they they have trotted out kind of a, a few different um, companies, uh, that ULC Robotics Company, another company that um, uh, was converting like UPS trucks from gas to, or to natural gas or from natural, I don't remember, but like three, like they, brought a couple of people out and said, you know, that these people said they would be interested in locating there. They can't like sign commitments with anybody because they don't own the land. So they're kind of in a, you know, a trap too. Um, But basically, no, it's been pretty vague. Like when you say so, Joe, like it's been the pretty vague. Yeah. I was trying to remember off the top of my head, like what even some of those companies were, I'm kind of drawing a little bit of a blank on the specifics there, but yeah, I mean, nothing really too, you know, specific uh, of, of, you know, what they uh, really wanted to do. I mean, it's I not mean, like, you know, you know, SpaceX is coming here and they're going to. Well, one you know, thing we know for rockets. sure is it's not going to be Luminati bringing like perpetual flight to, you know, the, and bring the Internet around the world to per- yeah. be a perpetual flight and wasn't there even at one aerial point, vehicles. Wasn't there even at one point someone was saying Facebook is c- going to come there, too? And, oh, that was him. That, that was. Oh, yeah. That, that was, was back. Yeah. By Facebook. See, that's that's yeah. part of the problem. It's it's an enticing it's an enticing idea. The idea that if you can plant the seeds, there's going to be, you know, the possibility of other um, places coming along. But the problem is. A lot of those seeds don't grow, and if and they are just seeds, they may or may not come to fruition. So, um, seems like there's also a lot of opportunity there for um, spinning tails and and throwing out things like Facebook when there isn't a lot behind that. So, so the uptal saga continues. Basically, uh, seems like we'll be talking about this for uh, at least a couple more years. So, uh, this is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm uh, your co-host along with Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists this week are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister of the Times Review Media Group, and Oliver Peterson of dancepapers.com. Denise, back to you. You had a story this week about a a kind of a shocking, startling uh, situation at the local high school, but also another situation where it's tough to get any real solid information out of the officials there, right? Well, so, um, you know, we got last night this uh, letter forwarded, an email forwarded to us that was sent to high school families from uh, the principal of the high school that was uh, speaking of vague, um, that said that there was uh, possibly some uh, harmful ingestible substance 
going around the community, circulating the community that may be affecting um, students in the in the high school. And Vegas, I know, parents, parents right. should speak. Yes, parents should speak to their children about you know accepting things from other people and whatnot. But like it didn't really say too much other beyond that. I think that's fair, right, Joe? I mean, I, you you pro- you got this too, right? So yeah, yeah. It was what what he didn't say was that two kids in the last week had to be revived with Narcan by the high school nurse mm. and um, were taken to the hospital by uh, Riverhead uh, Ambulance. And um, one of them admitted to vaping and the other denied vaping, but they both ended up being you know, resuscitated by an opioid rescue drug. So there was some kind of opioid in whatever they ingested. And um, so, you know, I, I, you know, I got this information from the ambulance. I got it confirmed by the police chief and uh, the, as you know, just before we started uh, the uh, school superintendent got back to me and confirmed that they were vaping the ki- hmm. kids. So there's why, some, I mean, why, there's why, some kind of why, on, why on earth wouldn't you say that <clears throat> if I you're the school no administrator idea. sending a note around saying kids are vaping and overdosing, you know, check your kids' vapes out and let them know that that this is a problem. Um, I mean, just last year, I mean, it wasn't in school, but just last year, there there were all those overdose deaths. Don't you want to try to prevent that in the high school if these kids are overdosing you know, on vapes? I mean, the sad thing is, to truly, I don't know if sad is a real understatement, but I feel like people are just more concerned about how things look. And their own and, mm-hmm. co- and their own, you know, backsides basically. Then about what they need to be concerned about. Maybe I'm a little harsh on, in this judgment, no. but come on, folks. Like, I, you know, you're absolutely right, Bill. That's what should have happened, and that did not happen, and that's extremely disappointing. So, but if you're worried about your kind of own image, aren't wouldn't you almost more be concerned about <laughs> the backlash of being so vague and and, and not un, you know not straightforward than just being straightforward, I don't know. Or, or God forbid, more kids. God forbid, yeah. More kids doing it, and and you know, right. and a tragedy occurring. You know, absolutely. It's, and if it is, it's something sort of as innocent as they were vaping, and some for some reason there was something more, you know, kind of toxic in the vaping, and they had had no idea that that could be possible. Um, you know, that's a serious concern. You know, very. Um, that sounds so suspect to me. I mean. What we're putting opioids and vapes that seems very suspect to me. I mean, I maybe I don't know. I'm not. I mean, maybe it's true. I you know obviously, but it almost sounds like something like maybe that I don't know. I mean, unless they've recovered the the material, the the substance. The guy from the ambulance. I I agree with you, Oliver. But the ambulance uh, guy said to me, "There's they they would not have." been resuscitated with narcan if if they had oh, an opioid it wouldn't, wouldn't have worked really there's that's what they say fentanyl or whatever but why would it be in a vape is what i don't understand like it just sounds yeah like I have, weird to me. I, 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 but well, the bigger question could been, here could have been it could have been cannabis thc right i mean you, t- you vape thc stuff if there's you know kids if that's getting passed around in the school and kids think it's just thc and it turns out to be you know, laced, I'm just guessing laced with fentanyl. Yeah. I think yeah. that's I mean, just, they just busted a guy in Brentwood with two kilograms of fentanyl. Oh, my uh, God. And, you know, we there was a bust um, 
uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, and we did some calculations where um, there was someone busted with 170 grams of fentanyl, which, um, according to uh, the DEA, one gram of fentanyl can kill 300 to 500 people. Yeah, yeah. So it's just yeah. grams we figured is 51,000 to 85,000 people, which is the population of all of Riverhead and and South Holds combined. So you know now you're it's talking- insane. Yeah, and and here's where I want to step in and just and just say for the record, we have no idea whether fentanyl was involved in this, yeah, but this right. is the problem. The problem is when you are so vague. And, and you, you send out a, an, a, an alarm to parents, but you don't provide any details, you're forced to fill in the gaps in information with, with uh, speculation. And, and that's why it's such a dangerous thing. In this case, you're talking about lives being at stake, too. And I feel like I don't, I'm with you, Denise. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to give more information in that circumstance. Err on the side of telling people too much rather than erring on the side of, of holding back. I mean, well, just, okay. simply, just okay. simply telling telling people that vapes are the the mechanism that, that we're talking about. Would and be that wasn't mentioned. But, you know, yeah, I don't good information that. for parents. Okay, okay. Just, spe- just, just speculating. I mean, if there's a police investigation going on, then police may say, don't say too much. But but I, I don't know that you listen at this point. I'm sorry, Ali, I stepped on you. No, no, you didn't. You're fine. I just was going to say that. Um, yeah, this. I mean, they should, it, I mean, you don't want to start a, a pan, it, right. It's the way you sort of start one of these sort of like uh, misinformed Facebook panics about something where you know suddenly right. you start hearing spreads around the, you know. So yeah, it's just would be nice to get the full facts for sure. Yeah, I, I think, I think be, that yeah. you, you stave that off by being more clear. Like I, you know, I mean, they knew that two kids were both vaping, according to the superintendent this morning. Um, and, you know, they knew they had to, the nurse administered Narcan. I mean, I feel like those are relevant facts that they should have been provided to, to parents. And, and if, you know. if you don't have those relevant facts at the time you're issuing the alert, maybe hold off on the alert until you have some more details, because no. I feel like oh, they an knew. alert, an they alert knew. that just says, beware of dangerous substances is pretty worthless. That doesn't really help. Ingesting dangerous substances, like, you know, don't, don't take any French fries from somebody you don't know. Yeah, and these, exactly. these, these two incidents were like a week apart, right? And one goes back a whole, a whole week. One was yesterday. Right. And one was last Thursday. Yeah. All right. So you see a connection between last Thursday, then the, th- you know, that's an isolated incident. Maybe you don't say anything, but then you, you know, then you see the connection yesterday. I think it could have been helpful too, uh, even for the police to put maybe put something out. And Absolutely. you know, we we saw back with, with the incidents in Greenport where there were all these overdoses were starting to happen, and and it was you know kind of the snowball effect, and you know people were like you know, begging basically for, you know, kind of the word to get spread out. And, you know, it, you know, until we kind of started, you know, asking the police out there in Southall to, you know, kind of confirm and get some messaging out, it, you know, they weren't saying anything. And, um, you, you know, you, you wonder if they had said, maybe said something a couple of days or, you know, a day or two earlier, you know, maybe that one day where, you know, three or you know, about three people or so, you know, got, um, overdosed uh you know yeah maybe they could have been prevented if uh some messaging got out there a little earlier and um so you know i, mean, I think you, you, you want to get the word out as quickly as you can and, and, i think i think as re- reporters we you know we we see this all the time there's this there, there's this um 
I, I don't know, two sides where you have police who want to do an investigation and don't want to give up their investigation, you know, and, and all that. But then, you know, that versus the, the public's right to know and public safety and, and all that. And that's a hard it's a hard line and a hard a hard battle. And, and you know, I think sometimes the police, you know, in, in protecting their investigations are, are going too far against the whole public, uh, you know, public health. And it happens with 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 local officials as well. These are the sure. fights we always fight. Denise is is more information yeah. to the public is generally better. I just feel like I mean, you know, I don't know. Ever all police departments are different in how they right. handle things. First of all, um, and so the one that I'm most familiar with is right here in Riverhead. And you know, I, I, time and again, there's just they're like they don't put information out that I I personally feel that. They should. I mean, whether it's like, you know, hey, there's a rash of people breaking into cars or opening cars like you, we, you were talking about a week or so ago with, uh, you know, don't leave your your valuables and your car fob in your car. you know, like, yeah, people obviously people need to be told that when that's happening. I mean, yeah. you know, when there was that uh, unemployment insurance scam that was uh, running rampant, uh, you know, what's like, why not? put that out like some police agencies do and some don't but i it's feel like it feels like feels like that's at the heart the public yeah. yeah it's at the heart of all of the battles that we have in trying to get information yeah. out and you're always very good about fighting those fights denise so i tip my hat to you we are out of time uh for behind the headlines this week uh, i want to thank our panelists denise civiletti of riverhead local joe workmeister of the times review media group and oliver peterson of dancepapers.com bill sutton my co-host thank you uh, I'm Joe Shaw. I'm Joe Shaw. We will be back next week with Behind the Headlines here on WLIWFM.